Hey folks, we are having a live showcase to celebrate the upcoming first anniversary of Flawless Noises Media Network. We're bringing you some of your favorite hosts from the network for an intimate experience. We'll have an energy reading from Gary of Mystic Moments to kick things off. Bree of Mama Meets World will be the first act and headlining the show Ratchet Ramblings featuring Jeremy Candace and myself. So start planning to come and join us February 29th, 2020 at Rehearse Live in Atlanta, Georgia. Get your tickets at fnmn1year.eventbrite.com. Hope to see you there. You're listening to a Flawless Noises Media Network production. Welcome to Gay Side Stories, where the gay shit goes. I am your host, Curtis. I go about your life on all social media. Thank you so much for joining me for another week. There are so many podcasts out there that you can listen to and you choose to listen to this one. And I am eternally grateful Speaking of, if you want to support this podcast and its home network, a.k.a. Flawless Noises Media Network, you can do so in two ways. One, go to patreon.com slash flawless noises and sign up in exchange for a little bit of money. You will be getting a lot of bonus content from myself and other hosts on Flawless Noises. You can also purchase some merchandise to help support this show. Go to flawlessnoises.com slash store, pick up a shirt or a tote. And now we're going to get the show started. So this episode is going to be a little different from the usual. I am solo dolo this week. And I'll talk about that more at a later date. I may have some changes coming up in 2020. I don't know yet. Still deciding. But in the meantime, the inspiration for this episode comes from a podcast that I listen to called The Cookout, hosted by Chase Cassidy. And he usually has a panel and things of that nature on his show, but he did a Q&A episode where he just collected questions and answered them. And I said, you know what, that's a really good idea. So I solicited questions for a good little bit amount of time. And here we are. I even skipped the week of Thanksgiving, not only because I had a lot going on and I was traveling. Shout out to my co-founder, Candice, and her family for so graciously taking me in for Thanksgiving, feeding me and keeping me high and just having something to look forward to. I really needed that given everything that I've been dealing with this year with my physical health, my mental health, uh, my car finances, it's just been a hell of a year. Honestly, this past decade has been more trash than not, but the past, I want to say four years, maybe from about 2016 to current have been nothing but trials and tribulations, but we're still here. We're still rolling. We're still rocking. So I am excited to do this. So we're going to get right into it. First question. This comes from Ray of the He Said He Said podcast. Some of my local Seattle friends, we've been on each other's podcasts and he asks podcasts require a lot of work. What inspires you to keep your pod or pods in my case going year after year? 
You know, that's a very interesting question because I've been struggling with motivation with the podcast for quite some time. I've been vocal about it at times and other times I've kept it to myself because I know nobody want to hear all that. Oh, woe is me. And oh, I don't know how to make my podcast grow like Rita Repulsa. Um, I would say what keeps me motivated is really knowing that there are still things that I want to do with the podcast, regardless if it ever takes off beyond where it is or what may have you. I know that there are conversations that I want to hear and I've been doing this long enough that now it's beyond just wanting to hear them. I want to facilitate them. So I say this whenever I get discouraged, I kind of get back to myself and I'm always saying, as long as I still have work to do, i.e. conversations to have, then I'll keep doing the pod. And as far as my other endeavors, you know, I'm really just trying to flex my wings and see what I'm capable of. You know, I've been struggling for a while to really know what my purpose is, what my talents are. So this has been a good outlet just to test the water. So that's where we are with that. The next question comes from YSL Ron, one of my friends in Houston who has been on the podcast. He asks, would you rather <laughs> paint the dick or get painted on? So anybody who knows me know that I'm not a fan of uh, poop insects. So I'm going to say neither. Yeah, neither. But I guess if I had to choose... I guess I would choose getting painted on. The only reason I say that is because I don't know what happens to a gay's reputation when he paints. And you really can't trust guys, men, whatever, to keep that to themselves. So I would rather be painted on because I know how to keep a secret unless, you know, you on some fuck shit, then... I probably still would keep the secret because I just I wouldn't admit that I got painted on, to be honest, unless I was just shooting the shit. Um, that's a bad choice of words with a friend. But I definitely would not want to be the one painting because you just never know where that's going to lead. So the next question comes from Lee of the formerly Getting Gay podcast, and he asks, would you ever do a collaboration episode with your friends that have podcasts through LSN? LSN in this instance is the loudspeakers network. So let me clarify some things on this before I answer the question. Um, I don't really consider anybody on LSN friends. I've said this plenty, plenty of times. They are friends with my friends. So Kid Fury, uh, more more so Crystal, um, Asante, maybe Dustin, um, Fran. They're friends with like Nikki and with my friend Mo or Arig Glamazon on Twitter. And I've met them. You know, me and Crystal have a, a good enough relationship. You know, we banter back and forth whenever we see each other. But I don't know if I would call any of them actual friends. We're acquaintances at best. And I've never met uh, Dustin. I've met Asante. I've never met Fran. So anyway, I say all that to say I would not go as far as friends. 
But would I ever do a collaboration episode? Um, if the opportunity presented itself, of course, you know, I would have no problem doing an episode with Crystal or something like that. But whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. Y'all tweet her and let her know. No, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't tweet her and ask her nothing. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, if the opportunity presented itself, definitely. If I was ever asked to be on one of their podcasts, I absolutely would be on it. So that's that on that. The next question comes from Nick Jew of What's the Tea podcast and also my sister in John Boyega appreciation. And she asks, how do you feel that most of the prominent famous gay black men are with white men? I mm, I want to say I have maybe like a duality of feelings on this, because on the one hand, I don't really care, you know, who you suck. Don't make me nut. That was a little graphic. Um, You know, who you love. Don't make my heart beat, whatever, wherever you want to go with that. So on the one hand, I don't really care. But on the other hand, I'm always like it would be nice. You know, it would be nice to see two prominent famous well-respected black gay men be in an open relationship with each other not open relationship but the relationship being open as in people know about it but on the other hand it's like you really can't dictate what people do who they love who they choose to settle with and just because we don't see a lot of prominent and I guess by prominent, we really more so, I guess, mean famous black gay men in relationships doesn't mean that they don't exist. I get my life a lot from uh, Instagram. You know, there's a lot of black gay couples on Instagram that, are, you know, regular guys doing their thing, getting engaged, getting married, raising children, which ooh. shout out to y'all because that's not my ministry. So. At the very least, I don't feel like there's no representation anywhere to be found at all. But occasionally, yeah, it would be nice to see a famous black gay have a black partner. You're yeah, sure. You know, we all want to see that. But I think I'm more so settling the older that I get and the more that I think about it. I'm more so happy to see black gay men be happy, regardless of what race or ethnicity their partner is just to see that black boy joy makes me happy you know i mean maybe that's the best we'll get for now maybe one of our fame maybe kia fury will pop up with a black boyfriend husband one day and 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 that'll start things going or another famous or famous adjacent whatever because i know how they are about being called famous black gay will you know get the ball rolling and we'll see more of it. The next question comes from Roberto from Facebook. And he asks, why are you the way you are? And it was a gift. I'm a gift. Okay. And that's just, it is what it is. You know, why am I the way that I am? I mean, it's the depression and that's not even really a joke. But it is, but not really. Anyway, next question. 
This comes from Rob of the Random Ramblings podcast, and he asks, what's your least favorite social media app? Mm. I don't really count Facebook, so I guess it would be between Instagram and Twitter, because, I mean, I have a Snapchat. I peek on there every now and then, but whatever. Ever since Rihanna was like, we off that, people been off that, so it was like, whatever. And it really, I would say it varies because Instagram gets on my nerves sometimes because once a trend takes off, I can't get away from it on my Instagram feed. And I think that's more so because of the algorithms than anything, but that's annoying. And the other thing that's annoying about Instagram is I don't want to see the captions a lot of the time because they're stupid. You know, it's like, look, if I'm following you because you got a fat ass or you got some nice abs or, you know, you're handsome or you have some kind of creative endeavor that I'm interested in. I follow a lot of people that draw and things of that nature. And that's what I want to see. But sometimes with the attractive people, they the captions are just. Again, I'm still advocating for a version of Instagram with no captions at all. Just the picture. Just let me see the picture and go. I don't even want to see the comments. Let the comments be for the person who posted it. I think there's a new app that might be doing that, but I'm not sure. Because it looks like the further along we get, people are like, we're tired of Facebook shit. (laughs) We want to get away from Facebook. And then Twitter, I guess I would choose Twitter over Instagram only because... You have a little bit more control over what you see in that people don't post the same way on Instagram that they do on Twitter. And it's easier to filter out words so I can still follow someone and not see what stupid stuff you have to say about whatever particular topic. Um, But even Twitter gets overwhelming. I used to be very well known for taking breaks like I would tweet for a month and then I would be gone for three I'm actually probably going to start doing that again because <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, the older that I'm getting, the less attached to Twitter I'm becoming. And uh, main reason why I've stayed with it the way I have for the past almost three years is because of the podcast. But we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I guess the answer would be... Yeah, I guess it would be Twitter. Or no, I guess it would be Instagram, my least favorite. I guess it would be Instagram. The next question, also from Rob of Random Ramblings. He asks, choking versus biting, which do you prefer? Now, I don't want to be bitten, okay? I'm not, I'm not that kind of girl. I don't do the vampire thing. I don't know. It doesn't feel good to me. If you like to be bitten, then chomp, chomp. But, you know, it's not my ministry. Choking. We speak her name and I'll leave it at that. We speak her name. (laughs) And the final question from Rob of Random Ramblings, he asks. Does anal feel like pooping? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Although I will say on the outward stroke, sometimes it can, depending on the size, I guess, and the angle of penetration. 
you know, you feel like, okay, you know, a little release. But outside of that, no, no. And mm, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Next question comes from my good friend and co-founder, co-hosts on many shows and all of those good things, Candice. And she asks, when did you come out and what advice do you have for the younger generations who are afraid to? So I've spoken on this before. I don't have like an official coming out story. Um, if you are familiar with the show or maybe if you're not, if you go back to episode 10, The Parent Trap, you can hear more in detail about what's going on with, you know, my parental situation, my family situation. So I there were so many things going on that I never really came out because we were at odds about all kinds of other things. So my sexuality was on the list, but it was lower on the list. Um, I've come out to friends and I think that's something else. Well, let me save that for the I've come out to friends and it's not really been that big of a deal, but I don't have like a big, you know, coming out story that could be made into like a web series or something. I just, I didn't have that experience. Um, and the advice I would say, of course, number one, come out when you're ready, come out when it's safe, you know, be very cognizant of those things. I wish it was not that way, but even still in 2019 going into 2020, it may not always be safe to do so. You may have, Parents that will still kick you out or go the religious route or try to do some kind of conversion or, you know, dictate how you live your life because they have financial power over you, social power over you. So I would say definitely wait until it's safe and comfortable. Do it when you're ready. Don't let anybody force you. And really be mindful of the potential impact. Like I would say, if you have someone that you are very comfortable with and very confident that they are not going to turn their back on you, that might be the first person that you want to come out to because at least then you'll have some support. You'll feel better and you'll have someone on your side, you know, like it, it and I know it's hard to predict people's reactions, but hopefully you have someone like that around you that, for lack of a better term, will help kind of soften the blow. Because I can say the first time I really came out to someone was a friend of mine or an ex-friend, I guess. Um, the Caucasian woman that I lived with at some point, and I've talked about her on this podcast. I don't remember what episode it was, but she was one of the first people that I came out to. And it was nothing but love, nothing but support. She was like, OK, so are we going to go eat or not? You know what I mean? And then I've had instances where I had a childhood friend that I came out to. I talked about this before, too. And he basically gave me the boot and was like, I don't ever want to hear no shit like that again. So at the same time, it's like you never really know what you're going to get. But I would say the best you can use your discernment on who you should come out to until you get strong enough, because, that's you know, you get to a point eventually that it becomes easier to do. It becomes kind of like second nature. But do be prepared that coming out for 
a lot of us is kind of like a a very long or lifelong process because you always are coming out to people. You know what I mean? Like I still have people that I could come out to hell just this year. I came out to my biological father, you know, when I came out to the ex friend that I was talking about, that was back in college. We're talking about 2003, 2004, you know, and in 2019, I'm still coming out to people, people that I'm um, close, quote unquote, you know, my father and I, I mean, he cool, I guess, but we don't have like that close father son relationship for reasons. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Uh, next question. Okay. So this comes from my friend DeAsia of the bad and boozy podcast. And she asks if you could travel in time to any single year or event, then back again, only once, what would you choose and why? Hmm. Now I should have asked some clarifying questions on whether or not this was supposed to be talking about an event in my own life or an event just out in the world. Um, I'm going to stick with my own life because the other option is a little daunting. Um, I would choose, I want to say 2001. And the reason why I would choose 2001 is because that's the year that my grandmother on my mother's side passed away And I was very close to my grandmother, like literally would just drive to her house and she would come out and meet me in the driveway. And we would spend an hour and a half, two hours just talking in the driveway. Like the conversation was so good. We didn't even make it into the house, you know, and I miss having that matriarch in the family because, you know, the family pretty much went to shit after she passed away. So I would go back to 2001 so I could have one last conversation with her because she died very abruptly and we weren't expecting it and it hurt and it still hurts. You know, I still miss her very much. So I would definitely like to have one conversation with her and just to, I guess, put it out there. If you want to know what I would talk to her about, I would talk to her about, the situation with my parents and how we could get that to be better, you know, instead of it going down the route that it went. Um, Maybe if we had gotten on track back then in 2001 into, you know, 2000, whatever, going to college and all that kind of stuff, things would not have gone the way that they did all the way coming up to 2008. And they wouldn't have been the way that they've been for the past 11 years going on 12 i believe so i think that's what i would do definitely or that's when i would go back to the next question is another one from deasia and she asks are you more productive at night or in the morning do you think it's possible to change and get used to another schedule um I would say I used to be more productive at night because I was more of a night owl. But the older that I've gotten and, you know, you start going to work consistently, your your schedule naturally changes. Your body's internal clock changes. That's why so many people complain about not being able to sleep late on the weekends and stuff like that, because your body gets used to it. So 
I would say it is possible to change it because now I tend to be a little bit more productive during the day, especially with my creative endeavors, because by the nighttime, I, you know, I just want to chill, watch TV. I don't want to be bothered now because I'm running this podcast network. I don't have that luxury, you know, like I still have to edit when I come home and do all kinds of stuff. I'm always thinking of things that we can do for the network. So I think I've I've become used to being more productive during the day, which is crazy to say. Like if you had asked me 10 years ago, would I have ever gotten used to being productive during the day? I would say no. But here we are, you know, adulthood is is a mother. So, oh, we have one more from DeAsia. OK, come on with the trifecta of questions. Last question she asks is no. Oh, shit. We have four. Shit. I can't read. OK, sorry, y'all. I'm tired and I hit the vape. The third question says, what company or brand, if any, did you love until they betrayed your trust? Mm. I don't really have an answer to this question because I trust no bitch. Okay, (laughs) I don't really trust companies like that. Like, I'm always like, okay, at some point your trash is going to show. Trash is as trash does. Um, But I guess if I had to say one that irritated me very very much um oh i know there is an airport parking lot company called i want to say park and fly and this park the letter n fly um yeah they really 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 pissed me off once when i was traveling just doing all kinds of shit, fucking up the payment, overcharging. Um, and it really pissed me off to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my business elsewhere. And I usually don't do that. I, or I do it quietly, but that really pissed me off. I guess the parking spot, too, because the parking spot, I think I've talked about this on the show. But the parking spot is, you know, when I had a bunch of police HPD rolled up on me with guns drawn because they thought I was stealing my own car. So, yeah, I would say those two are are in the running. And if we're going to be honest, let me tell y'all something. Apple, you are and not even slowly. You are steadily creeping up on my list of companies or brands that are pissing me off because I don't know what's going on over there in Cupertino. What I do know is a hot fucking mess. All right. Your rollouts have been trashed. Your phones have not been upgraded all that great like the shift from ingenuity to profit has been very tangible and it sucks you know the things are just not the same and i had high hopes that things would not change too drastically after um what's the man's name Lord, I don't forget. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs. Lord have mercy. I don't forgot the man name. We speak your name, sir. After Steve Jobs passed, I had high hopes or maybe I was a bozo that Apple would not change that much and that things would, you know, kind of continue on the same path. I did not think that we would start getting, 
you know, for lack of a, a better, you know, pretty much worthless year in between phone releases with the S brand or S whatever class of phones. I didn't think that they would be piecemealing features here and there. Like I just I if you had told me after Steve Jobs passed that this is the direction that Apple would have gone in. I would have been like, you, <laughs> you, you lying to me, but you know, clearly you were telling the truth. And I was the, the idiot because mm, I get, cause I used to be excited. You know, I used to pay attention to what products they were releasing. I used to be excited to get a new phone. Like, okay, you know, the design done changed. And now it's just like, eh, Am I buying a new phone because I'm excited about the phone? No. Sometimes I just like new things. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel good. You know, but am I just like, oh, my God, this iPhone is just the bee's knees. The answer is no, no. They almost got me with the iPhone X. I'm not calling it 10. Fuck y'all. The iPhone X. They almost had me, but uh, not quite. Because while I deal with it, that notch at the top is still annoying. It just is what it is. But I guess that answers that. The last question from her, what bill do you resent paying the most? I resent paying all bills. I need you to understand that about me. That is where we are with it. I really resent paying bills quite a bit. But I would say if I had to choose, obviously rent would be top two, probably not number two. And the next one would be car insurance. Like I hate paying car insurance because I don't get any value out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me knock on wood or knock on MacBook, I guess, um, that I don't have to use it anytime in the future, but I've been paying for car insurance since I was 16. And the only time I've ever used it was recently when I needed to get my, my BMW towed after it broke down. And that deep sigh was cause that BMW has been the bane of my existence for the past two months. It's fuck BMW for life. Every t- I spit on y'all's name. I don't speak y'all name. I spit on it. Okay. Fuck y'all forever. Um, But yeah, car insurance would probably be the next one. Because it's just like, why? Why? Like, can I get a few payments back at the end of the year if I don't use it? Like, it, I thought we were supposed to get incentivized for not using the car insurance. Isn't that what y'all want? Trash asses. But we get nothing. I mean, I guess I have an accident forgiveness on my policy now, but what does that even mean? Yeah, car insurance can go to hell and then rent, of course, because the rent is too high. Like, it's just too high. Um, You know, I don't have enough hind quarters to sell on the street to be able to afford rent these days. It's just too much. So thank you, DeAsia, for those questions. The next question comes from my friend DJames82 from the Twitters. And he asks or says, you've enjoyed Naruto. Yes. A shonen. What have you liked about it? And what is the next shonen you will partake in? So to hear my thoughts on Naruto so far, I'm not done with the series. I'm in the middle of the fourth great ninja war. There's a very, very long arc. Um, so I still have some ways to go before I get out of that and get into the rest of the series and wrap it up. 
Um, but for more thoughts on that, I would say look for the episode of the portal that we have on the Flawless Noises feed. I just did an episode with Candace and Mike because it's their show. The Portal is a anime and manga show on our Patreon. It's hosted by Candace and Michael, who is a black married couple. And, you know, they talk about different manga and anime, obviously. So I've been kind of because I edit the show, I've been getting into it. And um, they talked about Naruto so much that I was like, OK, I need to watch it. Like, so I started watching it and I was like, OK, I'm I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm present and accounted for. I'm late. But, you know, that's typical for me. Um. So we did that episode over Thanksgiving while I was in Denver. So we did it in person. The name of the episode is Hidden Village Idol. And it's part one because when I finish the series, we'll go and do a part two. So to hear things that I like and favorite characters and things of that nature, check that out. Do me that favor. And what shonen am I going to partake in next? Um, Mike from the portal, he kind of has analyzed what he thinks I would like based off of what we talked about with Naruto. So he and Candace have suggested my hero academia for my next anime. So that'll probably be what I do. And if you watch that and have any thing you want to say to me before I started, feel free, you know, hit me up on Twitter or text me if you have my number, all of those good things. But yeah, I think my hero academia is going to be the next shonen that i partake in all right the next question comes from my good friend juanita and she asks as a heterosexual woman how can i better support my lgbt friends and family Mm. so this is a good question i'm gonna speak from personal experience and personal wishes for the friends that I have around me, the cishet friends that I have around me. And I would say a good way that you can better support LGBT friends and family is first and foremost, be cognizant of your language, be cognizant of the views that you put out into the world, because sometimes it just You may not even realize it, but it it can be a slap in the face to someone in the LGBT community. You know what I mean? Um, When I say be cognizant of your language, I mean, be aware of using gay as a pejorative. Be aware of attacking straight men by trying to say that they're gay because they do something you don't like or they wear clothes that you don't like or things of that nature like be very cognizant of those things because you never know who might be over here seeing what you say thinking that we're friends and now i have to question how you really feel about people that look like me be aware of not doing that thing that people tend to do where it's like okay well i feel this way about y'all but not you because you're my friend. So you different. Like I'm not any different from any other gay man or someone else in the community that you see. I'm a part of the community and us having a close relationship doesn't make me different. It's, it's no different than when white, when racist white people say I have a black friend, you know, when misogynistic men be like, Oh, I'm friends. I've been friends with this woman for however long, like that doesn't negate how clearly you feel about the rest of the people in that group 
just because you have a friend. So those will probably be my top. Like it's really a lot of what you do and what you say. You know what I mean? Like the jokes that you make or the jokes that you laugh at. Um, all of that stuff can can be hurtful and you just never really know. I've seen things. I've seen friends say things or have agreement with certain hot takes. And it's just like, man, you know, I you know, it just it fucks you up. Because it's like, I thought we were good friends. I didn't expect this, this frame of thinking from you. And so to, to hear it or to see it, it's hurtful, you know, um, when the flame Monroe debacle happened a few weeks ago, I saw some things that, you know, made me feel a way, um, when the Jesse Smollett, which, you know, good luck with that. But again, I saw things that just was, I, you know, it's, it's hurtful because it's just like, you can't help but feel like what makes me so different. I don't want to be different. I want the next gay man, lesbian woman, trans person, non-binary person, whatever they fall in the spectrum or the community. I want them to have the same protection and feeling that you would give me as your friend. And the reason why I say that is not only because it's the right thing to do, but because the next woman who is not friends with me is going to treat me or there's let me say not is going to. But there's a potential for the next woman who's not friends with me to treat me the way I've seen some of my cishet friends treat the next gay person or person in the community. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm saying you should treat everyone in the community the way you treat me because I'm your friend because we deserve it we're human you know we we don't deserve your hate we don't deserve any of that stuff so be a better ally by being very cognizant of those things and don't be afraid to check the people around you because again some of that stuff just perpetuates the violence and the angry rhetoric towards the community if you have you know male friends brothers father mother grandmother whatever saying wild homophobic shit or being transphobic or or things of that nature don't be afraid to check them you know i know it's family and people feel a way about their family or oh you know they old or whatever the case may be but again when you let those type of feelings and words and actions go unchecked you never know who out in the world they're perpetuating that on you know what i mean if your aunt is wildly homophobic and you just give her a pass because oh that's my aunt and she make the bomb mac and cheese okay but when she goes out into the world she may be what she's saying that you're hearing she might be actually perpetuating against someone Your aunt might be the person that is giving a trans woman hell for trying to use the women's bathroom. And you have an opportunity to at least try to check her and redirect her. But if you just let it slide, you can't, I won't say you're responsible because you're not, you're not responsible for her actions, but I hope you can see the correlation between it being your family member and you not 
checking them, giving them the proper tools to do better. And then they go out into the world and they perpetuate hate. They spew hate towards the community. You know what I mean? So one of the main ways I think that we're going to get over this hump and I don't think it's going to be in my lifetime is that we have to hold people accountable, you know, and we can't let family members just do whatever, just say whatever because they're family members. That's not allyship. And I can only speak for myself. I would rather not have a relationship with a family member than excuse them being hateful. I don't give a damn how good the gumbo is. I don't care that they changed my diapers when I was a, a baby. I don't care about none of that. If you're out here being hateful towards people that look and love like I do, there's no space for you in my life. OK, I don't have time for the hate the sin, but love the sinner because that's not true. You're only saying that because you're, quote unquote, supposed to because we're family. So if you want to be a good ally, those are some good places to start. All right. We have to be very mindful of our language, of the things that we put out into the world. And, you know, we have to fight just like we want white people to get it and fight for us against white people who hate us because we can't overcome racism ourselves because we're not the ones perpetuating it. We as a community can't get over homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, and, and whatever else by ourselves because we're not the ones who created it. We're not the ones who perpetuate it for the most part. And that's not to say that some of these people in the community aren't the same, aren't the same trash, but Again, they learn that from the outside, like no one whose birth in the community, I would think is going to be outwardly homophobic or transphobic. Like a lot of that hate that we have for ourselves comes from outside sources. So that's what I would say on that. Hopefully that answers your question. And then Juanita has a couple more questions. So her second question is, although there has been progression, do you think the LGBT community will ever be fully accepted without negative backlash in society? I want to say yes, but I don't know. If it happens, it's going to be very, very, very far in the future. And the reason why I say that is because women are still fighting. Women have been womening since the beginning of time. We're all here because of women. All right. So if women are still fighting, if black people are still fighting, then I think it's a long road for the LGBT community to get that acceptance, you know. And again, like I said, it doesn't matter how many of us you see in the movies or on TV it doesn't matter how many seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race are on TV. None of that matters because for every person that you can see on TV being visible and being rich and having influence and all that kind of stuff, you can look up stories of people being bashed just for holding hands, having their houses set on fire because they moved into a neighborhood and they didn't want lesbians living by them. The trans women that are being murdered, especially the black ones at alarming rates. There's so much going on with the community, you know, still fighting for just basic rights. You know, like gay marriage was passed. OK, great. But we don't even have protections in every state against 
you know, being discriminated against just because we're LGBT. So I think that we have a a long, long way to go. And again, like I said before, I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime. I don't even have a lot of hope that it'll happen in the next generation's lifetime. Like I'm thinking about my friends who have kids, their generation. I don't even know if it'll happen in their generation, but who knows? Maybe when Mother Earth is like, fuck y'all <laughs> and, you know, she starts killing us off. Maybe then people will get over their biases and work together and have the harmony that I think we're inherently programmed to have. But we let too much get in the way of that. Next question and the last one from her she says, have you ever been attracted to any of your straight male friends? So first and foremost, I don't really have a lot of straight male friends um, because it just I just I just can't. <laughs> um, but have I ever been attracted to one? Yeah. Um, the same ex friend that I came out to that told me, you know, kick rocks. I was attracted to him and I, I mean, I wasn't open about it. I wasn't like harassing him or anything like that. I wasn't, you know, trying to peek up under, you know, hit the covers or anything like that. I wasn't trying to see his dick or nothing like that. It was just like, okay, this is an attractive man. You know, he's kind of my type at the time. Um, outside of that, I don't know if I've had many other straight friends that I was attracted to. Again, cause I've, I've never really had a lot of straight male friends. Uh, but you know, even players fuck up, I guess. <laughs> Next question comes from Stephanie of the Mocha Minutes podcast. And she asks, what has been your most rewarding experience on gay side stories? Whew. Um... I would say one was very recently. That was the news feature that I did here in Seattle. That was a very rewarding moment. Um, just because it was it was nice to be able to talk about the podcast with someone who's unfamiliar with it. And hopefully, you know, people saw that and they were curious and they subscribe and they listen. Um, that's I would say that's probably been the most rewarding outside of, I guess, um, just making it two years going on three because a lot don't. And I didn't think I would still be here, to be quite honest. Um, I still struggle with remaining here, to be honest. Um, so I guess the other rewarding thing would be, you know, whenever I used to get some feedback from friends like, oh, this was a really good idea or a really good episode or, you know, this was a really good guest. I haven't really gotten that a lot in the last year. Um, shout out to DeAsia. She's been pretty good with feedback on a regular basis. So I would say, yeah, that's probably been my t my most rewarding experiences just getting that positive feedback because it goes a long way i'm not saying you know i want feedback on every single thing that i do in every single episode but you know it's nice just to kind of get that positive reinforcement that you know i'm doing something that people enjoy so 
hopefully, you know, I start getting a little bit more of that in the future because I think I've been putting out pretty good content. You know, I mean, I'm not the best podcaster out there, but I think I've had some pretty insightful conversations, some very dope guests and things of that nature. I still have more things lined up. So, yeah. The next question, also from Stephanie, two of three, she asks, what has been your most helpful feedback you have gotten from fans of the show? Hmm. Hmm. It's hard to say because I'm so critical of my own stuff and myself. So I don't know if I've gotten any particular feedback that has been you know show altering or changing i guess the main thing maybe i can think of is um i've gotten feedback from my friend brie about you know kind of sounding cynical and pessimistic about love or whatever so i've been kind of being more cognizant that maybe those jokes don't land the same or maybe it's a a glimpse into, you know, more dark recesses of my mind. So I've been more cognizant of that, you know, trying to put a better spin on the show, maybe a little happier spin, depending on the topic. That's probably the best example I can have. Like I said, cause I'm so critical. Like I've already analyzed things 10 different ways before I would get any feedback. So the feedback that I would get would usually be something I've already thought of or something of that nature. You know, it may be just minor. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming up with anything that's just been like, okay, this has changed the trajectory of the whole show. Cause I've already thought about, you guys have to understand, like my mind is always working. You know, like I'm always having I I had to get to the point where I would just start writing my ideas in the notes app. Like I have an an entry in my notes app that's just ideas, you know, for shows. Some of them pan out, some of them don't. But my mind is always working. So I guess I don't and I haven't really gotten like a lot, a lot of feedback on the show either. So maybe that's it, too. Um, last question from Stephanie, what has your journey to being mentally healthy taught you about yourself? Woo. It has taught me that I am truly the ghetto. No, (laughs) it has taught me that I don't really know myself as well as I thought I did as self-aware as I've been. And I credit myself for being the more. I peel back the layers and the more that I'm in therapy having these conversations, I realize I don't really know myself. Like, I don't really feel like I know what I'm capable of. Um, I've talked about this in the past. I don't really know what what I'm doing here on planet Earth. I don't know what my purpose is. Um, Like I said, my therapist is very mindful of that. he says that I'm in the middle of a existential crisis and I guess I, I, I don't disagree. You know, I guess I just didn't really put a term to it, but it's definitely been a struggle. Um, just knowing who I am, what I'm capable of, what I'm here to do. And it, it hurts, you know, it's hard. Um, It's very it's a very emotional thing to deal with because 
not that I compare myself to what other people are doing, but I just look at other people knowing their their skills and their gifts and being able to capitalize on it in some way. And here I am like, I don't know what I'm capable of. I don't know what I can do. You know, the best that I can do is with the podcast. But it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, do I really know what I'm doing with the podcast? No, I'm just getting on the mic, getting someone to be a guest. And we have these conversations, but I don't really know how to sell this podcast. I don't know how to make it grow. Like, I don't. there's so much that I don't know about podcasting. So I would say that is probably where my mental health is, is just trying to figure it all out still, you know, and I've learned how to give myself grace for being 35 and not knowing because there's tons of successful people that don't even hit their stride until their forties or their fifties. So I, part of me has hope, but I'm in, I'm in the midst of so much with my mental health that I don't know for sure where I'm going to land. I don't know how to uncover that. Like I said, I'm in therapy and I'm working on it, but that's kind of where I am. It's like, and I, this is just a recent revelation. Like in the past, I want to say maybe three weeks. Um, I've always kind of had this going on definitely for the past few years of not knowing what my purpose is, but the feeling that I don't really know myself. I don't know my strengths. I don't know my, my, gifts and my skills has been pretty recent and then like I said it, it was a very very difficult revelation it was a difficult conversation that I had with myself um there were tears uh it was just it's it's hard and it's it's such a heavy weight because every day I wake up and it's just like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing I do not know what I'm supposed to be doing I go to work because I need money um, you know, need a career that's a, a given in a capitalist society. But outside of that, I, I don't know what I'm here for. I do not know. And I don't know how to find out. So that's kind of where I am with that. Uh, next question comes from my friend, John Salvatore of the Johnny Fick podcast. And he asks, what is the nastiest thing you've done? Of course, he asked. <laughs> what is the nastiest thing you've done sexually? What is the freakiest act? Mm, I'm not really nasty when it comes to sex because I don't really trust people's um, hygiene. So in order for me to get like freak nasty, I have to be very comfortable with the person like it just is what it is. Like, can I do top tier type things? Sure. You know, don't, it doesn't take much to, uh, get my motor running, I guess to be, you know, not gross about it or graphic. But as far as like laying my burdens down and just, you know, going full Trina, uh, it takes a level of comfort and trust that I don't usually attain when it comes to men, um, which is a whole, a whole nother thing. Maybe one day I'll talk about that on a different podcast. So I, the nastiest thing that I've done or the freakiest thing that I've done. I don't know. I haven't really done anything freaky. Now that I think of, I haven't, you know, I don't really, I'm not real 
closely acquainted with sex. Let me say that. Um, I guess the nastiest or freakiest or whatever recently would probably be the whole porta potty incident. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, you know what? It may not be it, but I'm going to go with that. Because, again, I don't want to get graphic. <laughs> um, I will say, though, that there there are things on the sexual bucket list that I want to experience one way or another. And uh, we'll see. I'm thinking this next decade is going to be a good time to explore some of that stuff. So we're going to park this question and maybe in a few years or hell, you know, if I have a good 2020, maybe even next year, we'll revisit. Maybe I'll have done something super freaky. Next question comes from my good friend Bree of the Mama Meets World podcast. And she asks, what do you, grown Curtis, say to Curtis who was questioning his sexuality? Hmm. What do I say to that young man who... I don't even know if I really, you know, let me be honest. I don't know if I've ever really questioned my sexuality, you know, like I've, I don't know if I've ever felt confused about it. Like it, it was what it was. Like I was attracted to boys, men from a pretty young age, started doing stuff way too young, <laughs> way too young. Um, and yeah, I um so I never really had a, a a full instance where I was questioning my sexuality. I spent more time trying to hide it than question it, you know. But I will say I was still trying to figure out, I guess, if I liked women or if I exclusively liked men. So I, you know, I experimented in college. And, you know, then I started pretty much exclusively dealing with men after that, which was a poor decision in hindsight, <laughs> because ugh, this life is difficult enough. So, yeah, I don't know if I really have something to say to him about his questioning sexuality because of what we didn't really spend a lot of time questioning it, you know, like it was not to be. Um, gross about it or not to be too too wild with it but I mean I was having sexual experiences like in 6th grade so with boys so it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a lot of questioning clearly it was you know just a lot of being fast Um, <laughs> and the last question comes from Huss, aka Adrian, who you've heard on the show. He hasn't been on in a while, but he did have this question. He says, I know we sometimes make jokes about being forever alone and not wanting anyone in our house, but are you emotionally prepared for the possibility that you may be alone forever? I wish I had put this question earlier on because this is a kind of a sad note to go out on, but you know, here we are. Um, I don't know if I would say I'm emotionally prepared, but I wouldn't say that I'm not because I've spent more time being alone than being partnered or 
entertaining someone. Like I don't have a lot of dating experience. I've only been in two very short relationships. So to me, it's kind of like business as usual, which is my reality. But saying it out loud seems sad. But I mean, what can you do? So I don't know if there's anything for me to really prepare for because it's it's kind of my everyday life like I, and it's not because I like being alone or I like my alone time which I do don't get me wrong but just the cards that I have been dealt have not been very active sexually or romantically so I've gotten used to it you know I haven't been in a relationship since what 2013 Um, And before I was in that relationship, I had not been in a relationship since 2003. So who knows? It seems like I have 10 years in between each relationship. So I guess I have something to look forward to in 2023. I don't know. But I don't see the whole forever alone thing being any different from kind of my everyday life. And it's not to say that I'm upset about it or sad about it or anything like that. It's just... It is what it is. And uh, who knows? Maybe that'll change. Maybe someone will come and sweep me off my feet and we will live happily ever after. And he will convince me to get married. Um, Nobody's convincing me to do children because that's not my ministry. I'm sorry. It's just not. I have no desire to raise children. So there's that. So please, universe or whatever deity please don't have me be with a man who wants to have children because we're not gonna be together (laughs) if that's a deal breaker for him anyway um but yeah i don't know if i would say i'm prepared for it it just it is what it is so that's gonna wrap this episode up i really like this i hope that you guys will continue to submit questions and i'll collect them and maybe do another one of these episodes in the future Um, I want to say a big, 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 big thank you to everyone who submitted a question. Um, Like I said, it's hard for me to kind of get engagement. So I really do appreciate the people who took the time to come up with thoughtful questions and reply when they saw the stuff that I posted. Um, This was something that needed interaction like. I appreciate the people who like posts, but if I'm asking you to submit a question, a like is not really going to do anything for me. So a big thank you from the bottom of my heart for the people who actually took the time to submit questions, friends and acquaintances and strangers alike. Or I guess everyone on here is an acquaintance or at the very least an acquaintance, maybe a friend. That's going to wrap things up, you guys. Like I said, submit more questions. All right, you guys, that's going to wrap this show up. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again for listening. Remember, you can chime in at any time. If you have thoughts on what you've heard, go ahead and sound off. Use the hashtag GaySidePod when you're live tweeting or posting about the show so that everyone can see that. You can also send in letters, compliments, show topic ideas, stories, or whatever you may wish. I like to call it the Gay Side Mail, all of which can be sent to GaySideStories at gmail.com. Please go ahead and do that. 
Also, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and if you really love the show and want to show some support, leave a review, five stars as well, and make sure you're sharing this show with other people. Word of mouth is still the best way for podcasts like this one to reach more ears and get a bigger audience. So go ahead and tell someone that you love the podcast, friend, coworker, family, whatever the case may be. That is how we get more people to listen to these shows. And you know what? That's it. Love yourselves as always. Make sure you're protecting your walls or they will what crumble. And I will be back next week.